I have uh, some wonderful pictures of the Grand Canyon, which you can't see. <laughs> they didn't come out on this one, but I'm going to move through that. Uh, the Grand Canyon, as I learned, was 277 miles wide. And we stayed right at the south rim, and we just saw a little sliver of that canyon. It's 10 miles across and mile deep in most places. And, and yet... Uh, it reminded me just how this vastness uh, is overwhelming, and and yet it's a beauty that you behold and behold and behold. And I thought that's kind of like the scriptures. If you've ever felt like you've been overwhelmed by so much that's going on in the scriptures, and yet there's beauty there. There's some all kinds of crevices and things you you just need to take time. And so we did uh, enjoy that time. And, and while we're gone. Uh, my friend Andre came and, and uh, filled in for me, so I want to thank him uh, publicly for that. And we had a good time at the uh, original Pancake House talking about uh, Acts and where we were going, and, and he did a wonderful job. And I wasn't here to uh, get your response except for the Sunday school. You guys filled me in, and uh, so you guys are right in tune. So we're not going to miss a beat as we, as we keep up with this. But as we, uh, as we go into this, uh, one of the things that that Andre talked about is uh, the fact that being tuned to the Holy Spirit is something that the early disciples had to learn because the work that Jesus had done uh, in the flesh, incarnate, as he walked around, they could touch and, and uh, talk with him. And when he uh, ascended into heaven, he promised to send the Holy Spirit. And they were in a learning process how to accommodate be sensitive to, learn from the Holy Spirit. And uh, as you get into the context of Acts 5, you've got a baby church who doesn't know a whole lot about how do you walk by faith in the Spirit. And so that, uh, that picture of having a, a, a space, in this space, uh, as you see, the church, uh, the Holy Spirit comes into here. And to recognize that the Spirit of God is at work in you, if you are a believer in Christ, you have been called, accepted, blessed, baptized, sealed, and raised up with the person to your right and the person to your left is. And therefore, we're connected to Christ. We're, we're in an invisible church that is part of this larger universal church on the move and so one of the things that that i want you to hear as we get into the book of acts is that this isn't just a an event there's something that has taken place in our cosmos where the spirit of god has penetrated and is continuing to do the work that jesus did but he's going to be doing it now through us in the church well that's a lot to say and so as we, as we get into this passage, I'm reminded of what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. He says, when uh, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, that rivers of living water will flow from within. Now that context that, that there's a resource available to you and to me, a companion, a paraclete, another helper, one who is interceding for you, one who is for you in every way that God and, and Jesus were 
the Holy Spirit is a, a good, good friend, as we have a good, good father and a good, good shepherd. But he promised, and Jesus fulfilled that promise, that, that there's something that takes place within you and within the church that sets us apart. And therefore, we are, we are uh, in motion. We're not passive. We are followers of Christ. And therefore, as we get into uh, the book of Acts, uh, we want to learn how to depend upon the Trinity. But the focus here in the book of Acts is the work of the Holy Spirit as he's being poured out among all flesh. And this is what Isaiah would talk about, that this child who was born, the government would rest on his shoulders. And that, that, that shepherd, that Messiah, that comforting spirit would come and bring about healing. And so the Father wants to heal, Jesus wants to heal, the Spirit wants to heal, and so you begin to see some of these signs and wonders as you get into the New Testament. But this New Testament... Uh, and the Old Testament. You see, the, the whole story, the redemptive story from beginning to end is a narrative of redemption. God is out and using your story and your story and your story to illustrate the grace of God in all of our relationships. And yet, as you get into the story, as Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart have said, that God's story is magnificent, grander than the grandest epic, richer in plot and more significant in characters and descriptions than any humanly composed story ever could be. Even more grand than the Grand Canyon because it goes all the way through the universe. Well, as we go into, uh, I just want to say one thing about Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, before I move into today's passage because this is a kind of a difficult passage because if you read this out of context, you, you can get the wrong idea of who God is. And an unbeliever reading this without being guided by the Holy Spirit will miss this point. Ananias and Sapphira died. They were taken because they were filled with this, the spirit of Satan who had deceived them, and they lost their lives. And as Andre said last week, we could forfeit uh, the benefits and the blessings of the Holy Spirit if we're not in tune with the Holy Spirit. And therefore, it's really important for us to understand, one, how to read the Bible as though the Spirit of God is guiding you, directing you towards Jesus Christ to understand all that the gospel means. That if you're saved, it doesn't mean that you're just going to heaven. It means he wants to save you not from sins and the judgment. He wants to save you from the current, present, existential uh, darkness that runs the world that will destroy you as well, as I and me as well. And therefore, we want to pay attention uh, to what's going on. And I want to point, point out one thing here, that in Acts 5, you have you have a, an indication of something about spiritual warfare. And I want to mention this before we go on because you'll see this as going through. Every time in the, in the Bible, every time that God begins a work, there's warfare. Every time that the Spirit of Christ 
does something, there's going to be conflict. You see this over and over again in the Old Testament. You saw this with Adam and Eve at the beginning when the serpent came to deceive Eve. And that deception was part which affected Ananias and Sapphira as well. But it was right at the beginning. Aaron and Moses. Do you remember when Moses was called to go up to the mountain in, in uh, Exodus? Aaron, who had the idea that somehow he could get all the gold and, and the precious stones together to make this image of a calf. Right there at the Exodus when Moses was leading the people out, all of a sudden you have this image of God made in calf that was Satan trying to block and redirect his people. Moses was going to give them the truth, but they were being presented with this other false image. The same thing with Achan and Joshua. When Joshua was leading Israel into the promised land, and they were fighting victories, it was the beginning of the entrance into the promised land, and there on this mountainside of Ai, they defeated this incredible battle, but there was one man named Achan who said, I'm going to take these goodies back to my tent, and he hid them. When God had said, do not take anything but destroy it all, Achan lied right at the beginning of the victory. And you see this with Herod at the birth of Jesus. When, when the Spirit of God is on the move, so is Satan. And so Herod said, uh, we want to know where that child was born because we too want to worship him. Liar. He had no intention of worship. He wanted to kill Jesus because he was threatened. But the point is, I want you to see, here in Ananias and Sapphira, it's the same pattern, that there's a movement of God and there's a movement of Satan. And Satan is going to try to destroy this by having people becoming so afraid, well, who is this God that's going to take your life? If you lie to the Holy Spirit, you're going to be killed. Huh, that's, that's a... That's a strategy of Satan to keep people in fear and distrust of our glorious, gracious God. And so this was an attack. Make no mistake. This was an attack by Satan because it says Satan filled their hearts. And so don't miss that point because every time there's a beginning work of Christ, when Christ went into the wilderness, what happened? Satan was the first thing after the baptism. He says, if you are the son of God, if you are, questioning Jesus, uh, having Jesus starting to think, well, same like Adam and Eve, did Jesus, did God really, and Satan wants to make you so confused and distorted that your faith is not clear or clean and focused but that's what was happening. And at the beginning of the church, this was Satan's strategy to attack at this point, to say, you can pretend to be half-hearted and give whatever you want to give, but you can lie to the Holy Spirit. No, no, no. So at the beginning, Christ was working, uh, interceding at that point to make sure to pastor the church, that the church wouldn't be let off into error at the beginning. Because what you see in the book of Acts is a clear contrast. Barnabas was filled with the Spirit, and he was giving, other-centered, serving, free. 
Ananias was tuned into another spirit. And so, and here's what I want you to see, as you'll see today. When the Bible presents things, he always, uh, the Spirit of God presents things in contrast so you can see the distinctiveness between uh, different groups. And you'll see that as we get into it today. But my goal today is to do a couple things. One, as we listen to the Spirit and we read the Bible, I want you to learn how to meditate, if it's not a character study or theme study. But today I want to focus on um, a, a little poem I'm going to give to you that you can learn to think through. And I will talk about thinking and meditating through the scriptures so that you hear the Spirit of God and you can align your life with what God wants to do. Okay, so you ready for your poem to memorize? Here's the poem from Rudyard Kipling. Remember this? I keep six honest serving men. They taught me all I knew. Their names are what and why and when and how and where and who. Repeat that with me. Everybody out loud. Ready? I keep six honest serving men. They taught me all I knew. Their names were what and why and how and where and who. There you go. <laughs> we're going to use those six uh, questions as we get into meditating on this passage because as you go into thinking about reading the scriptures you need to take some time and and ask these six questions at least and then we're going to think about how the contrasts compare and how God uses your imagination will guide your thinking will guide your perception as you get into the text but by all means it's all bathed in prayer that your curiosity, your, your inquiries will be accompanied by the Holy Spirit as we get into it. Now, for those of you who were not at the Myers-Briggs training seminar, let me, let me uh, bear with me for a minute because I want to share with you in the personality uh, profiles that we went through, one thing I wanted to highlight for your ability to think well, to think deeply, to think with an excellence that you've covered all the basis. For those of you who know that there are four components of that that really focus on uh, your ability to perceive data through your sensory input, the ability to think intuitively about possibilities, but to think about the principles and truth and to deal with the heart, the feeling. And so to meditate through each of these components and this narrow this down, when you are thinking with your senses, you're paying attention to data, sensory input, how temperature of the room, the sound, the colors, the, the, the smells, you're, you're, you're looking at the light, but you're paying attention to the details and a lot of the details that you could read into scriptures, you, you will find some and you will miss some, but think about what the experience was through the senses. And then you have to think about the larger context, the possibilities, that what went on before in history. You have all those thinking um, 
you can think and meditate on those different points as well as move to the the principal ideas what are the truths what are the eternal revelation uh, truths that are the foundation for all nations for all times these are the 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 grand themes that we hold to in our in our understanding of God and then the last part is if you're an F uh, you have this component to think about how this affects people. And the importance of this I- these ideas are what does it mean for life? How is it relevant? In other words, what value is listed here? And so as you think about uh, as the scriptures, there's lots of ways to enter into the passage. The Myers-Briggs says if you, if you use these four, you will have a complete picture. Usually we only do one or maybe two, but we don't do all four. But let's go into this particular passage because this is going to be, and I'm going to show you how to think through the details because here you're sensing, here's six fellows up there asking all these questions. And the first thing you want to do is look at the text and say, what does it say? You really have to read very carefully, critically to say, now what does it say? So we, as we're going to go through these six men, uh, we're going to ask these six questions. Now notice, in Acts 5, the first verse, uh, verse 12, says, The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in the Solomon's colonnade. Okay? So there you've got some sensory data. It just, it's not going to really be a liver shiver, but it's going to open up some ideas to help you begin to think. First of all, you see that the apostles were performing what Christ was doing in the, in the uh, New Testament. Now the apostles began to do because they were the ones who were trained and sent. And it says, these apostles, now how many apostles? Twelve. It didn't say Peter. It says the apostles. All 12 of them were involved. And so this authority that was given to the apostles to bind on earth that which needed to be bound and to uh, unleash in heaven. And so these apostles were fully functional in doing what the Spirit of God had trained them to do. And here they were. They were performing many signs and wonders. It does not say here in verse 12, they healed people. But healing was part of that. But there were signs and wonders. There were many things that where God was intervening. They were doing it among the peoples. And the believers, they used to meet in the Solomon's colonnade. Now, Solomon's portico, if you read another text, or King James says porch. Uh, boy, I hope I got this in there. Yeah, here it is. So when you think of porch, you think of if you're thinking about Ohio and Indiana, you're Midwestern, you're tending to think about um, what a wraparound porch would be like, or you think about, but this is not what you mean. When you think about the senses, uh, when you think about the picture, what comes into your mind when you hear porch, Solomon's colonnade? Well, let me give you an idea. A, a portico, like we have out in front of our, our church, a portico is, simply means a covered entrance. That's what it means, a covered entrance. And so you see uh, houses have a portico. 
article or, or porch, it was called a colonnade in, in a lot of the translations. And so when you think of colonnade, what do you think about? Now you've seen pictures of the temple. I know you have because I presented them. But you notice on the back side of the temple, look at this you see row of, of columns, the colon, colonnade behind it. That's the porch that runs alongside of the temple. And if you go into it, it looks like this. Now how big is that? It is big. Uh, when you think about the believers meeting there at this portico, at this colonnade, this colonnade would run from the edge of the plaza strip here, down by the Dollar General, to 306. It's an eighth of a mile long. And so when you begin to think it's measured in furlong, 660 feet, two football fields, it's an eighth of a mile, you begin to get the picture that, wow, well, where, where do the Christians meet? Where was it taking place? Where did, where did um, Peter start to do those signs and wonders? But now you get a picture. When you put yourself in the context, you can begin to see. And they used to meet there. This is where the fellowship was. They didn't do Bible study. So when you begin to ask those questions about the facts, uh, how do they meet? Did you know they met standing up? Because there were no... And so as you have uh, a group of people meandering in and out of small groups of fellowship, passing on what, what the teachings were and what the latest news was, you have a move, a church on the move. It wasn't stationary. And it never was stationary. The chairs and pews weren't introduced into the church until the 15th or 16th century. And therefore, for the longest time, uh, people were always moving in relationships and so but they would meet they would meet in the porticos until it got too big and then they would have to move into people's homes and so the house churches were started to grow and those were some of the facts well how uh, when did they meet when did they meet again sensory what time of day did they meet well the jews would meet at nine o'clock twelve o'clock Three o'clock, the time of prayer, and then there was the Sabbath, or, or the uh, six o'clock where the day was over. They would probably meet any time. But uh, specifically, when something was uh, going to happen, these, six, these 12 men would come together, but they would uh, go on to discuss uh, the watts. The watch. What was happening with, uh, with Barnabas and the money? And they were talking about the details. When you think about Ananias and Sapphira, somebody was paying attention to the details. And so Peter understood there was deception going on. How he figured it out, uh, only the Holy Spirit gave him that insight. But when you read the Bible, you really have to pay attention to the facts. The apostles were involved performing divine healing, there was a contrast, too, between the people's responses. You saw that between Barnabas and Ananias and Sapphira. You'll see the contrast here with those who were touched by God and healed and those who were not. And you'll see, even so, even under attack, the church was growing. Why? 
because the Spirit of God was moving and drawing and calling people. This was the big picture. Jesus said the Spirit's going to move where he wills and you're going to follow that Spirit. You won't know until he moves. And so the possibilities of the Spirit of God moving uh, in in the church was visible, experiential. And therefore, when you bring about the the and the decisions that these guys had to make, they were either surrendered to Christ, being open to the Spirit, and learn to fellowship with everybody because they were thinking about, they were thinking about their relationship with Christ, their relationship with the church. And as they did, they thought about how people would benefit. That's the harvest. When Isaiah said that the son shall be born and and the government will rest on his shoulders, these people were experiencing the healing of the Messiah coming through the Holy Spirit's work through the church. That's a wonderful, wonderful expression. So as you get into those uh, passages then, if you take your time to go back to think about what these, what these people were experiencing, our brothers and sisters in Christ, and you think about all the context. In verse 13, I want to draw, one, uh, draw your attention to verse 13. No one else dared join them. And even though they were highly regarded by the people, nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to the number. Now, if you saw healing going on in a country that didn't have a hospital or medical practices like we do today, if, if healing were to take place, what would you want to do? If you saw a number of people were healed and that they would go out to the cities and bring people in, uh, wouldn't you want to be part of that? Wouldn't you want other people to be free from their afflictions? Well, sure. But what it says is that these, there were people who were touched and there were people who said, don't touch me, leave me alone. Now think about this for a minute. Who gets healed? Who gets healed? Who goes to Solomon's portico? Who goes to the pool of Siloam? The cripples, handicapped, people who are sick, diseased, feverish, malaria, epilepsy, people who are blind, people who are lepers. Those folks don't tend to be the attraction for a lot of people. They, they were either a different group that I don't want to be associated with those people who were sick. And therefore, I can understand they're being healed, but there are people who look at other people verse, like it's us and them, and they don't identify because they're looking, they're looking at the people. But the point was, No one dared join them, even though they were highly regarded. There was something that needed to be healed in people who were looking on as spectators and not participants in this. And therefore, what you saw going on in in this chapter was a contrast again. There are people that God touches because they were open heart and in tune with the Spirit. There are people who God does not work on because they were closed. And like Andre said, Ananias and Sapphira were closed to the work of the Spirit. Which leads us for us, as we're thinking about meditating through the Scripture, 
and we too learn how to meet together in our fellowship hall. We have to be open not only to the Spirit of God, but open to the Spirit of God through the relationships in the church that God could be using you to stimulate and encourage other people. Or he could be using, Satan could be using you to block that growth as well. Lots of things going on, lots of dynamics going on. But let me close with this. The Spirit of God is good. And the Spirit of God wants to change and transform us as a body. And therefore, he knows that not all of us are ready to change. He knows our fears. He knows our concerns. He knows our questions. But if you're not open to let him move, we remain the same without that movement of God changing our lives. As we move into the book of Acts, keep these thoughts in mind as you read through the text and see how people respond to the Spirit. And you're going to see it all the way through because you're going to have people who are going to be interested and seek Christ and people who are going to be non-interested and resist Christ. All this is just to say we're getting started into the next section. But as we get into Acts 5, uh, keep in mind that God is on the move in the church, through his spirit, in his people who are attuned. That's what we're going to do.